so true, true. Welcome to the Vulgaratours, where we... Exp- uh, fuck. What do we do? Do we explore... explore? And I'm Jason. <laughs> we ex- just keep it in. Dude. Keep it in, Evan. And Terry's here, too. Okay, so this I, week we're talking... <laughs> no, it, I've got, it's, ex- it's Explore, I think. I've got the yips. Yeah. It's like how pitchers can't remember how to pitch when they're on the mound. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Welcome to the Vulgaratours, where we explore the filmographies of genre filmmakers. Uh, we we Probe? Probe sounds better. I feel like examine. Like the... I feel like honestly, I, Pac, I, I think you've done both, yeah. dude. I think you've done both. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. you should honestly. That should be your little thing at the <laughs> at the beginning of each episode. You just have a different synonym for what we do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, Welcome to the vulgar tours where we fart on the. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like Mad Libs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This week, uh, we're Mad farting on the Wachowskis' <laughs> Cloud Atlas. Yeah, it's like, let's replace a word in each episode. That's <laughs> Dude, the, the next time we have a real stinker, you should totally do that. Oh, that's a good idea. So, next week. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's fair. I don't hey. know anything, I just, I don't know anything about Jupiter Descending. Yeah. Dude, it's, I'm actually kind of... You said there's like a dog man or some shit in it? Channing Tatum is a man dog with uh, rocket roller skates. And Eddie Redmayne is like a weird, stupid. like, I would feel like it was insulting in some way if the filmmakers weren't also, like, trans. Like, I feel like Eddie Redmayne's doing some things that are, like, borderline offensive. Uh, and Sean Bean's in it, uh... I forget what Sean Bean does. Die? It's just Sean Bean. Yeah, probably it's it Sean Bean. Yeah. Uh, uh, and like, I think Terry Gilliam's in it for a scene. The The only scene I remember liking is like a very Tilly, Terry Gilliam-esque scene. And I think it might actually be him in it. Um, Are we sure it's not scene Bon? Scene Bon? Yeah. Like, What's why that? do we know it's Sean Bean? Oh, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> the look of disappointment in your face, Terry. I, <laughs> I'm, I wish you could have seen my face. I wish the camera was working because I am. Tr- I was trying to process that. <laughs> I still don't get it. <laughs> he he switched the pronunciation around on Sean Bean's name. <laughs> so it's scene bar. <laughs> scene. Okay. <laughs> That's even more basic than I expected. <laughs> so much time. Okay. Uh, God. Uh, we've all got a case of the sillies. I know, right? <laughs> Welcome to the Vulgar Tours, where we examine the filmographies of genre filmmakers. Uh, this week, we are nearing the end of our run of films on the Wachowskis, and we are discussing... 2012's Cloud Atlas. I'm Paco. I'm Terry. I'm Evan. <laughs> I see what you did there. You were, you were shifting characters, in like a different yeah, this time. This episode, oh, this no. episode, I'm gonna be um, Evan. So I have to this, change my voice. Yeah, this episode, I'm gonna be Evan, Terry, and Jason, as well as myself. Uh, 
I mean, if, if if we're really like talking about Cloud Atlas, then I'll be right back. I'm gonna go like tape my eyes so they look more Asian. I'll be right back. <laughs> I was gonna say the good thing about us all being white, which is not a good thing. Like, yeah, I was gonna say that. I don't <laughs> like, know if you've ever said that. Let me let me finish. <laughs> is that we won't be doing any black or other offensive face types. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like. All right, cut all that out. Um, no, I'm I'm honestly I'm glad you bring this up because Bay Duna was in whiteface, and it's like you're taking roles away from white women, and I <laughs> I didn't appreciate that. You know that it's role like, could have gone to Scarlett Johansson. Oh, I mean, <laughs> she would have been perfect. I mean, as the savior character, she would have been amazing, right? Oh, you mean just for that character? Oh, I, I mean, I um, think Scarlett Johansson definitely could have played the uh, South Korean character. <laughs> um. So, Cloud Atlas. This movie was one I hadn't seen before. And Terry, you had seen this? No, or... I, I hadn't. No. I had seen half of it at a point where I wasn't really in the mood to watch it's it. Well, wild uh, to me that you could even watch half of it and if you weren't in the mood, because... You kind of have to, like, want this movie to get through it. It's so long. I mean, you had read the book by uh, David Mitchell, right? Yes. And that was part of it is I was really curious about the adaptation and the process of it. Uh, And again, it's one of those things where when you know where a movie is going, like if you've read the book and this is a shockingly faithful adaptation to what I would call a almost unadaptable book, um, and like once I saw that, I was like, I don't know where, like, if I want to spend another hour and a half with it. Uh, that said, past me was dumb because this movie fucking rips. And like it actually, I don't normally get emotional in movies, but this movie fucking made me super cheery. And like the good vibes, I fucking, I fucking loved them you know oh, same and like same. there are parts of the book that just kind of drag because like the guys escaping from an old folks home is not particularly entertaining uh as written but i think having presences like jim broadbent like really add to it and it's like it's not bad on the page but it's just kind of long Dude, and this, this movie drags so hard i like i i liked it but it was three hours long. Like, are you kidding me? It absolutely drags. Ooh. Ooh. I, I mean, I, there are definitely parts that still drag. Like, I gotta say, uh, in the book, I did not care about uh, the fucking composer or the guy in the old folks home. And in the movie, I still basically didn't. But they didn't, like, annoy me as much as they do in the book. Well, I think this movie is pretty rad because it's... Um... It's Wachow- it's the Wachowskis doing something post the Matrix trilogy. And I think that jumping into a huge adaptation of a, a book that seems pretty dense, like there's multiple different storylines across different eras, like it all is pretty wide spanning in scope. Well, and but that, it's, as it's usual, kind of, it's wildly ambitious. That's just kind of their homework. Oh, and it's... Or, or excuse me, because they did uh, Speed Racer uh, in between. Mm-hmm. But I guess it, it's like it's it's super ambitious and it's it makes sense why it was kind of stuck in development for a long time and they were they're really trying to find financing for the longest time 
um, to, because it's an original book that's not based like this is post Marvel. The idea that you would make a like hundred, hundred and fifty million dollar movie um, with this big of a concept is so interesting. But, I mean, it, it's like, post Marvel, but it's still early days. Like the MCU mm-hmm. hasn't fully come to like what it is now. Like so, like well, the Avengers was, like, was a huge gamble six months before this. Exactly. Like so, when this was in production, nobody knew what the next decade was going to be, uh, which is of course always true. And and I wish that it had been the Wachowski decade and not the MCU decade oh, because I would have rather watched a bunch of more movies like Cloud Atlas than the MCU. Dude, can you imagine being like, I'm so fucking tired of all these movies with like overlapping narratives and then characters being reused and just like fucking tell a straightforward story about a guy in tights god damn it i know uh, right? <laughs> like and you well, know that's what's i i think oh go, go, ahead. go ahead no 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 go ahead i said it first <laughs> um I, I just i think that's what makes this movie so interesting from that perspective is it was hailed as an unadaptable book, similar to Tom uh, Tyker's, um, la- uh one of his other movies, Perfume, mm-hmm. um, was originally going to be adapted. Uh, a book um, was going to be adapted by Kubrick, who, and it was his big thing was it's an unadaptable book. So the idea that you would do this movie in a similar way to how you you had described it, Paco, and I can't remember the the word you used in terms of the narrative pattern because it's non-linear but then it comes back again like a horseshoe or something it's like if they were all separated in different chapters i don't think it would have enriched any like of the complexity or like the heart of the movie i feel like i was it's a long movie like just shy of three hours and it is huge with a bunch of shit going on. But mm-hmm. I wasn't lost and it really kept giving me the breadcrumbs that I was actually like really compelled as to like what's going on. Like it would it would kind of subvert my expectations around a bunch of different um, items of, of the, the subtext of the, the script and what the characters were doing. And also I, I couldn't remember another movie of this caliber, like this big budget special effects extravaganza that wasn't relying solely on the special effects to tell the story. It was almost like background noise to Mm -hmm. how beautiful the costumes were and how amazing the sets were and how like interesting, like, whoa, jet skis on a laser path that looks like from final fantasy 10. And if you break the case, like, like there's all sorts of um, like they invited you into this world and I was like totally in it. And that's, I think Maybe, like, I did get emotional, too, um, at the end, Paco. Like, I, th- I think it's the idea that all of these stories were swirling around and I didn't feel unconnected to any of it. And the idea that you have these filmmakers, three of them, no less, in this picture, um, if they were able to focus in on the story and figure out the complexities of this together as one, it's a pretty remarkable achievement of cinema and what it's able to communicate especially as an adaptation of a book that that seems pretty complex yeah it definitely is and i guess the one thing i'll add about the book is that the book is told in uh david mitchell described it as like a russian doll russian nesting doll structure Mm. um so to sort of 
explain what that means. Uh, the first story is set in 1849, and it's the first and last segment of the book. And then uh, Cambridge in 1936 is the second and second to last. And then San Francisco in 1973 is third and third from last. So basically, by the time you get to uh, after the fall, where uh, Zachary is uh, telling the story. That's more like a mirror then, huh? I guess. I think, but then you put it back together and the Russian doll is whole. Exactly. But the first five stories, you read entirely just one half of. And then you get to Zachary's story, and it's whole—it's his whole story. And then the second half of it is reverse chronological order. So then it's uh, the second half of Sonny's story, and then the second half of uh, Timothy Cavendish's story, so on and so forth. Uh, so you end with uh, Adam Ewing again in 1849, uh, which... I think is really interesting structurally for literature, but I'm very glad that the Wachowskis did not ape mm-hmm. that because I think in a lot of ways it detracts from the thematic elements of it. And it makes for honestly less interesting storytelling. Like mm-hmm. I, I appreciate what Mitchell's doing and I think it's a really interesting exercise, but uh uh, one of the nice things about film is, and of course books can do this too, is cross-cutting from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we're all having the climax at the same time, uh, which makes a lot more sense than having a climax and then 30 minutes later having a different climax play out in full, et cetera, et cetera. Um, oh, that sounds like a normal uh, Wednesday to me. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I will say that I, I do appreciate the choices that the Wachowskis made, but I I do think that it like I I wish that there had been like slightly more coherence in this movie more like earlier on. Like I I, I know that they're like the Jason you mentioned that like you, you appreciated the breadcrumbs, but it was just it was difficult for me to follow because there was such an enormous cast of yeah. characters. Mm. And I and so, like, while I was trying to, like, uh, keep up and, and like, sort of, um, like, keep track in my mind of what was happening in one story, then we immediately switched to another. And I'm not saying that it should have all been separated like you, like the book was, but I do think that uh, the narrative was, it jumped around so much that it, be, it was very difficult to follow until, like, three quarters of the way through when things started to, like, click. Interesting. Which in, yeah. in, in a movie that is like an hour and a half, two hours long, is less of a problem in one that's three hours long. That's my biggest beef is that it's like, it just it's so difficult to really tell what's happening until you know exactly what's happening. And even for me, who remembered the basic stories, there were points where I'd like look at the characters and I'd be like, okay, which is this again? And right. like, totally. I don't even know their names. <laughs> and I think it's both one of it's one of the most interesting choices which we have to get to is casting all these same actors for all these different roles which uh i think is really interesting and i think sort of thematically leads to the idea of how we're all interconnected and we need to help each other but at the same time uh you know if 
you probably couldn't afford movie stars like Tom Hanks if you just cast him for one part. But if you had different stars for each part that were recognizable people, it I think it would be a lot easier to distinguish the segments of the movie. And that's fair, but but then your budget would be like $8 trillion. You know what I mean? I mean, not if we're... To, I, I bet you, for Tom Hanks, you could get like six fucking uh, Harvey Keitel's. You know, like people on but that it's, level. I, it's I because mean, no, that's fair. Okay. Like the way that you would use your main actors, like Hugo Weaving and Jim Sturgis and Halle Berry, like as multiple characters, like five or six characters, where they're even like random characters, like uh, uh, Baiduna showing up as like a Latina woman. Uh, for a second and why yeah, like a throwaway like, part why? It, yeah. that's like that doesn't mm-hmm. add anything to the narrative and and terry i i also super agree with like i i think the the first like hour of the movie so first third of the movie um it was cutting almost too much where it was distracting me because it was like how am i supposed to get acquainted with where i'm at where i am and who i'm with if you keep cutting back and forth and I kept getting right. disoriented by going like, gosh, it, like there's certain parts of the movie where it'll also cut within seconds to different time periods so that you're almost like threading the needle through these for like a couple of like mm-hmm. moments. But um, it took me a little bit to kind of warm up. And honestly, if I had a, a pad of paper and had to write down who everyone was and what how this all worked, it would not like I, I wouldn't be able to retain it. But that's kind of where I think it's so impressive because it's so well thought out, similar to like the matrix where I feel like the Wachowskis and, uh, and, uh, Tyker, um, they thought of so I much. I think it's Tiker. Uh, Tiker. Sorry. No, no. It's something like that. Thank you. It's, it's a German pronunciation. So I think I've heard it as Tiker before. Okay. Well, like the, um, they have so much coverage and footage to edit around and the idea that it's all stitched to get together so creatively, um, for maximum impact and effect of what they're going for is super impressive. It's, it's just strange because it, it does like, I love it, but I, I also, it confused me, but it not in a way that like I didn't enjoy, or maybe I forgave, um, and, and really, like, the transitions between the shots reminded me of the um, meticulousness of, like, Bound, where there's, like, yes. it'll travel, mm-hmm. like, the camera will move in one direction, and then it will pick up in a different time period, different story, with, like, a similar thing going on. It's, like, every... Yeah, but, like, if it's, like, an, ex- if it's, like, an extreme close-up, it'll be an extreme close-up in the next scene as well, like... There was a ton of intentionality like that that I really appreciated. And, and that kind of was fun to find little things like that. Like visually, this movie is pretty amazing. Like I, I do consider it closer to like Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring in terms of like the amount of scope and world building and using special effects with amazing sets. And like there were moments where I was like, oh, they spent a shitload of money on this. Like and the special effects all look good. They don't look like ultraviolet or like one of these like shitty movies that came out in. I mean, you know. I, I wasn't crazy about some of the sequences in Soul. That's the only part that mm-hmm. I thought was a little kind of iffy. Yeah, like that bridge they use. Or the speed racer. Doesn't... 
the where, uh, <laughs> yeah Sunni works. That that was that was wonky and like the the tunnel scene like and there's a there's a, like the the chase scene like a few of them. It's again it feels like uh, revolutions in that regard. Uh, it's egregious. It, it, it is a, like, kind of like a, a realized world, though. The Wachowskis have a knack for world building, so I appreciated that. But that was the only because so much of the rest of the film uh, takes place in a time that doesn't really require uh, any kind of computer generated images, and they're using mm-hmm. all practical effects. And it looks and very like shooting good. on location. Like I mean, they shot exactly. in Germany. I mean, the German government funded the, like twenty million dollars towards this movie. The Wachowskis also like were put up like seven million between them as well like um and then it was it was shot that matrix money to good use oh totally yeah i mean they shot in like germany scotland i think doubled for san francisco and uh or like glasgow because obviously rain um maybe but Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) like majorca like they shot in like really beautiful places where when you mix that with the sci-fi stuff i guess the neo soul kind of sticks out a bit too where you go from amistad to you know fucking i mean it's kind of interesting the idea that there's six stories and three filmmakers between them so the wachowskis did the 1849 period the 2144 period the 2321 period and then tikr uh or shit i'm so sorry i I, I that's close enough um, whatever it's a german name he did tom okay tom did 1936 1973 in 2012 and that's kind of the whole breadth of this movie and it, it's did you like did you all see a noticeable difference between all of them and do you think no, that the wachowskis think... could have pulled this off without tom like what do you think about I've... that involvement I mean, I think it's for something of this scope, it's interesting because it's so hard to get a third. Uh, I mean, even two people credited within like the DGA rules and to get a third is pretty remarkable. But I mean, there's just so much going on in this movie and right. I'm sure two people could do it, but it would. I mean, one person could do it, but it would be fucking brutal and like. They clearly work really well together because it's so consistent over all of this, and it, uh, it, it feels really cohesive. But like, how yeah. do they fit I, into the honestly, same Honestly, if I hadn't, <laughs> sorry. sorry, I didn't hear that. It, it, it's okay. No, I'm just I'm surprised that it feels so cohesive because there's three directors. Because uh, like, like we know the Wachowskis work well together, but uh, even the segments that are directed by Tom, like. They, they fit the movie and mm-hmm. the, the, to the tone and like the aesthetic also yeah. feel like Cloud Atlas like this doesn't feel like a like a like a um, a collection of shorts or something it actually feels like every piece of the film has its place and it's meant to be there yeah I think that's all true um, I forget the second question Jason just asked um, uh, do you uh, do you think they all fit in the st- same stage chair um no, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, uh, they only get one for the three oh, of them. Yeah. I mean, they're uh, out of money at a certain point. Um, it's, it's like one of those bikes that more than three people can ride I, and pedal at the same time, but it's yeah. just a big chair. I, I think Terry answered the first one. I, I honestly can't remember the question that I asked, other than um, do you think that um, his involvement made a noticeable difference where I guess he wasn't phased into the Wachowskis, where this actually feels like a little bit different than anything? Like, did you all... I mean... I think one of the interesting things about the Wachowskis 
in general is so far any of their movies that aren't in the same universe have a very distinct feel mm, like they like you know we did snyder earlier this year and every snyder movie feels like a snyder movie no matter what universe it's in whereas this they sort of they'll take some of their visual flourishes and some of the things they like to do but they won't let it overwhelm the material and the material comes first in a way that uh makes it so i feel like it's less noticeable when they bring on a collaborator and we should note that they worked with him again on sense eight oh cool so it's something where i think was i thought sense eight was also just lana i i think season two is okay Um, okay but i I think season two, it was just Lana and Tom, actually. And Lily walked away. Um, I could be mistaken there, but let me check. And it's it's also important to note, too, that this is the first film that was attributed to the Wachowskis instead of the billing of the Wachowski brothers as Lana had uh, come out. I mean, one of the biggest um, film, mid, big major film directors to come out as transgender. Um, and uh, I think from... 2010 or 2012 um so it's it's pretty significant uh you know also how we can you know kind of we'll talk about it later but or i guess uh, maybe in our wrap-up but how uh interesting you can watch all of their films through that lens um so it's fuck yeah the wachowskis um good for them so i mean we've sort of done all the facts without really discussing how this movie worked for you guys like terry i know this movie didn't work as well for you um i i still really enjoyed it though like i i won't like it's not a bad film it's a challenging film that's that's like my biggest takeaway did you like and oh go ahead well no it's it's mostly just like what i said it's it's the the kind of dizzying structure of it and the um like impenetrable narrative like it, it just it's so difficult to really see the connections in, until you're like an hour and a half to two hours into the movie. It's just, and that's not a bad thing. Again, like I, I, I appreciate long films. I appreciate films that reward uh, patience, and this is definitely one of those. And and I think that each of the stories, like there is a really distinct um, kind of literary feel to this film that that I think is unique in in the Wachowski films that we've seen so far, where. Uh, like in particular the segments take place in the past uh really feel um kind of authentically uh like something from that era and like or like a period drama in a way mm-hmm. and i like that it doesn't feel like oh neo is on a ship in 1850 like we're not like they're taking it very seriously and each part is like super cohesive yeah i think that all makes sense and it really is interesting because, amongst other things, it's basically a melding of six different genres right. in one movie. Like, you've got, as Jason called it, Amistad. Yeah, sorry. And then you've... No, I, I think that's fairly accurate. I don't know what you, that genre is. Like, boat movies? Uh, <laughs> you've got... Naval the, drama? Yeah. Tom, Tom Hanks is a bad guy for the first time in my life. I don't think I've ever seen I him did, as, I, like, a bad guy that was interesting I, I did like that i really like that character actually that, that one, was the when huge he said the n-word not so much yeah. oh yeah, yeah that was tough 
because yeah, you, we talked about this off off mic, but you you said it was like uh, hearing America's grandpa say the N word. Oh yeah, yeah, it just hurt because he seems like such a sweet guy. Uh, but well, and I I mean I believe that he's a nice dude, and I get like you know for the art, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not totally convinced that that was a necessary inclusion in in that particular sequence, like. That we, we could have shown prejudice without using it. And, like, that's a minor gripe, all things considered. And but it does it does feel really jarring, I agree. I mean, I think the whole point... I mean, maybe not the whole point of that sequence, but one of the predominant points of it is to showcase how uh, awful humanity's indifference to fellow humans is. And, like... You know, it starts with the fucking slave getting whipped. And like, so I think there's an argument for its justification. I can't say I necessarily would have made that choice as a writer or director, but I I, I, understand it. I mean, I I agree with that, but I do think that like it's progressive sort of bona fides are kind of undercut by the fact that it still is essentially a white savior narrative at, at the end of the day. I mean, it's supposed to be a published journal of a person in the 1830s, yeah, which Captain again Ewing. is one of those things that didn't necessarily translate over perfectly from the, uh, the novel. But the idea is that everyone in the next story is interacting with the art from the story before it. So, uh, Cavendish, right? Is he the uh, musician? Uh, anyways, the no. musician is Cavendish re- is the old guy. Okay, but the musician is reading this yeah, yeah, published journal, so it had to sort of be in keeping with the uh, published, like experiential uh, stuff they published in the eighteen hundreds, which is why I give it a bit of a pass on being a white savior thing because. That's what they made at the time. Uh, and I feel like they're better about that in the not 1800s parts of the story, you know? And I think it's it's such a hard thing to do. Like, how they're, do you... I, they're, they're, like, kind of better about it. I don't know. Neo Soul is just really uncomfortable. Neo is... Soul is uncomfortable for yellow face, but uh, to to sort of again the struggle is uh again an adaptation because in the book it's actually taking these different formats of writing from different times uh so and like Did referencing them, them as like, and I, hey i want uh <laughs> and and no, so and I, 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 I can like hang I can on see that but I think the issue is that in adaptation, it's less clear that this is supposed to ape the art of the era because all movies look like they're from our current era, right? No, that, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's less clear. And so I would have been OK with uh, some creative license in that. Regard. Yeah, I think that's uh, it, fair. Yeah, I, I I think this movie worked for me because it it is about the connection that you have like a basic connection with like like there's nothing special about any of these characters the only thing that 
are they're bound to each other with is their own like humanity and even when you go to like the earliest part like the earliest story or whatever and then spoilers it turns out to be the you know later latest one or whatever it's uh Mm -hmm. it's the idea that no matter who which story interaction you go to it's all about control whether it's hugo weaving as nurse ratchet over the folks in the you know care facility or if it's um the musician guy uh who's composing cloud atlas with the other guy um or if it's you know like there's literally those cannibals that are trying to eat you know it, it 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 it's so intrinsically um like it's i don't know maybe it's using genre in an interesting way to make a swashbuckling robinson crusoe uh movie with like minority report or like like philip k dick almost in the type of like ubik um like the weirder vein and i almost just feel like uh the concepts are so wild and out there but but also so well written too like all of the characters like the actual script is so well written that it it could have just fed into itself like there's a soylent green moment where it's like they they feed us to ourselves soap i i did it i did appreciate (laughs) that yeah like that was a fun little because like that moment you're like oh it's played up as a joke and then the reveal later in neo soul you're like oh no that was actually like some foreshadowing yeah like there's all sorts of things that are super well planned out and and interesting um and it 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 does sound dumb uh i'm so self-aware but it's like while i was watching it i was like fuck i can't wait to rewatch this so i can kind of pick up on bigger connections and typically with movies like this i am the last person to enjoy that type of shit it's like give me a movie that i can enjoy the first time i don't want to like have to watch it nine times to get all the meanings but but this one has enough paths in it that i i i don't know i was just kind of blown away by it like wild the first time and then i look forward to like really taking my time next on my next time i think that's a really valid point because a lot of the rougher aspects in particular the kind of uh narrative jumps and stuff i think if you know what to look for it would be easier and perhaps more rewarding to kind of look for the little uh bits that you miss the, the like because like one of the characters that Halle berry plays is like she's in like one shot mm-hmm. you know what i mean and it, and so like I bet there's other and not like actual characters, but like other weird little connections and um, kind of visual motifs that are recurrent. And I think that if I had a better grasp on what was happening, then I could notice that. And so I think it's I think rewatching this would be an interesting experience for sure. I I kind of liked the uh, the the linguistics in this movie too, like the the the. I, that stuff from 2023 20, 21 yeah, yeah like when i mean it sounds like one step away from jar jar with like you want to hear the true true but uh in like how they leave out like consonants and stuff like it's just they're, they're it's so specific but it's 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 acted so well by barry and hanks like they sell it without it being silly because they it it's they even like get the like the nuance of this language they're not just going i don't i don't know i'm not explaining it well like the the way no that yeah it's it's hard because it is essentially almost like its own new 
like language or at least its own new patois. Yeah. It's and, like yeah, it's a patois or a pigeon, yeah. And yet they I don't know I mean obviously they're actors that's what they do but they they just sort of speak it like it's natural in a way that's pretty incredible well and something and, that I really appreciated about that too was that uh, there is this scene where Halle Berry is talking to the, the other folks like from the place where she comes from and she mm-hmm. isn't speaking in the pigeon so like it clearly like shows that this is actually like kind of like a regional dialect or whatever mm-hmm. or, or it truly is like a patois like not everyone or at least not all humans in this era speak that way mm-hmm. and i mean it's it also lends to itself because that character is our narrator and it's almost like this oral history thread that goes out the, throughout the whole movie like a lot of this film has a lot of narration and voiceover and it's not distracting it's actually super interesting that makes me feel like i am reading a book it's not like the blade runner e uh dooney kind of voice so do you think it helped you guys sort of keep track of the narrative because as someone who came in knowing all these stories i didn't have those issues that you guys did uh and like as a filmmaker it has to be so hard to sort of keep the audience from being confused uh did the narration help with that? It just kind of fleshed out the characters more for me. Like, I, I don't think it helped me understand uh, plot or overarching kind of concepts more than it just had this, like, really personal, like, intimate, well-written voiceover. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Terry? No, I'm I'm on the same page. Like, I, I it does help to flesh things out, but I don't think, or flesh out characters, rather. But uh, I don't think that the narration necessarily is is even intended in the context of the film to kind of uh, help you. I think it's more like a stylistic choice, maybe, or or perhaps like a literary one because they're adapting a book. Because mm-hmm. I, I also assume whenever I hear any kind of like narration like that, I, I assume it comes from the book. I assume that they're 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 taking like direct quotes and stuff. Like it's that. funny. Like I always think of that as a producer's note of like, hey, the audience is dumb, so you have to figure out how they're going to connect with this. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I mean, in some movies, that's literally what it was, like Blade Runner. But uh, I think it depends because in this case, I do agree. I think it's more artistic, and it's not necessarily just laying out what's going on. Um, in some cases it is like, uh, the, uh, Cavendish stuff Mm. when he's talking about all the places he went and like looking in Susan Sarandon's window and stuff. That's fairly straightforward, but I think that also makes sense because that's the hardest one to keep track of in relation to everything else, because like, it just kind of looks normal, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? I I thought the same thing. Well, ex- except for, like, uh, Hugh Grant's melted face mask. <laughs> Wait, that was Hugh Grant? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I did well, not. Dude, they, did <laughs> like, did you watch the, the credits have, like, a roll call? Yeah, no, they... but there's so many oh, people. Oh, they each it's play, like, play, six characters. Yeah. And, yeah, you're so but, right. But see, you, that's, you that's, see that's the for part, second. like, the, the mm. costuming and the prosthetics are so good in that movie for the most part. But then, like weirdly Hugh Grant's like face thing just looks awful it looks like seeing him speaking to Jim Broadbent it's like 
It's like Jim Broadbent is talking to a doll. It looks it is yeah. so uncanny. It just made me like ridiculously uncomfortable. Well, I think one of the issues is they aged up several actors for that part and like I think it's the mm. age makeup as much as anything that makes well, but, like, it. Hugh Grant is wearing a mask too though. Like you can see like it's a big old like mask on his face. Yeah, and that's better because like I didn't know Tom Hanks was in that part of the movie. Like some of the makeup works, but Wait, Hugh Grant. Who's Tom Hanks in in the 2012 segment? He is Dermot Hoggins. So I think he's the other one that they escape with. Um, the other man. Oh no shit! Way. Really? The guy? Seriously? The guy who? Not what? Mr. Meeks. Oh. Not Mr. Meeks. Not the guy. No, who says, no, the other yeah. guy. Yeah. Oh. Um, no shit. Okay. okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, God, there's so, so, many, like, there's so many characters in the movie. Well, I mean, it is. <laughs> so the old age makeup sometimes works, but yeah. you're right on Hugh Grant. It was just like, Awful. I mean, I guess the other thing is you've got to make Hugh Grant look like Jim Broadbent, uh, which is <laughs> challenging in its own way, uh, because one of them has a big forehead and the other doesn't, you know? And, like, he's one of those actors, too, where I feel like some actors have recognizable mouths, like, similar to, like, uh, Keith David. Like, I, I think I could tell mm-hmm. what his mouth looks like. And Hugh Grant has, like, a similar kind of features. But yet, like, it, it's not done in a way that's distracting, but it is just strange because of the sheer amount of, like, yellow face in this movie mm-hmm. and appropriation of, like, yeah, I guess all of the Neo Soul stuff is kind of wild because it's, it, it's, it's yeah it's like there's a part where uh uh byduna is like making out or having these like really serious moments with jim sturgis i think was it jim sturgis as uh by j chang uh as chang yeah, yeah. like where yeah. i'm just like i'm i felt like that was kind of uh what is it humiliating uh it's the other like no it, it's it, it made me un- it, it made me uncomfortable like, to see an actual Korean person opposite somebody and, who was. And having yet. to like yeah. love, like have a love scene too, which that that was kind of boundy, where it was actually like a tasteful, quick, kind of hot sex scene. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, like that by the same people who gave you the nude rave sex scene and reloaded. Um I mean, I think I think like that's definitely true. And Terry mentioned like they didn't they knew better than to have uh anyone do blackface so why did they think yellow face well, it's was just okay? like you, um, and, and even with byduna as a white person at the end in whiteface like i was joking around about that but it, it's just like that's another form of like this gross kind of undercurrent of I, I don't know. It, it just is, is really strange. Uh, I don't know. And you have to think of the makeup artists, the other people in craft services, like yeah. everything. I just, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's strangely it, tone deaf for a film that is like really sensitive, but it, it, yeah, it, it's sensitive and progressive. And like, uh, I feel like the intention was all about showing how humanity transcends, you know, beyond skin, gender, uh, age, yeah. race, anything, and so I there's ageism appreciate in this movie the intention, yeah. but I just wish they had talked to like 
a couple people of color about it and like maybe figured something else I mean, out like that is the thing though it's not malicious like when i was watching it it didn't distract me enough that i was like didn't it just i had to kind of separate it a little bit from how not okay it was like when you're seeing like keith david and like mm-hmm. hugo weaving like oh, half the cast is in yellow face and it's just like it's, it's not done just in a like, way to hurt but that doesn't in but and who knows if you know all of the filmmakers would do that now not that that's okay mm-hmm. but it, it just it's so strange that it's a it's a weird anomaly it, it is i don't feel to, like it's uh, it's interesting to think about making this this movie now because those choices would have been far more problematic i think the it's so challenging because to keep the general structure they have uh I mean, I think what you have to do is cast like a lot of the lesser people like it's like not let God that came out wrong it's because I don't mean the, lesser yeah, people yeah, to just, racial you mean the, like the smaller, you mean the smaller roles, parts, yeah. the smaller roles in earlier parts of it uh, as, you know, like Korean people. So then they can all have a bigger part in a, the like soul scene. Or just be something like, just like a throwaway piece of dialogue, how like, hey, isn't it cool how like Seoul became a melting pot and we have people of all races here now? Oh, like, okay, so that yeah. that was actually a thing that I thought for a while before I realized that that uh, the, the like makeup and, and uh, prosthetics were egregious yellow face. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like a weird, like, like alien. humanity is just so blended yeah. that there's there's the like genetic. facial features that you don't like recognize. Yeah, like I thought it was that, and then I realized it was yellow face, and it made me so much more uncomfortable. Well, yeah. it's just like I was if, not super thrilled. If with like that. everyone was in Klingon makeup, like from all different types of like like uh, people of color, or just everyone was having that similar ridiculous makeup but it would be one thing but it, it's it's another I, it just was weird well and know. it's it, it's also like there are a ton of great korean american actors oh, that yeah. they could have chosen for those roles like that's mm-hmm. I, I understand the like wanting to include uh you know a lot of the the big characters in different roles throughout the movie to kind of create that connection or the synchronicity kind of thing but again there are just there are a couple of choices that it was it would have been so easy to just cast a couple of more people and still to maintain that connection like just just don't use white folk for the neo soul sequence that's it just don't do that <laughs> i mean it seems like a like you could have saved a shitload of money on your makeup costs by having a quick five minute think where you're like huh we don't have to do anything <laughs> yeah, that's a good point like, we don't have to do anything oh david like why would we that would be even more interesting if they all looked kind of similar to each other like as their character not i don't know if i'm explaining it right like you wouldn't have to put on any makeup if they were just hugo weaving as all of these different characters including nurse ratchet but i think that would be far more confusing. I, I think, going back to i i don't if we're cutting through all those different points and the only thing keeping hugo weaving separate is like his well wardrobe, i guess like that's way more not confusing. Like, Pros- that's like I don't know, stuff. not prosthetics. I don't know. It's just I mean prosthetics kind of work like Tom Hanks's big nose and oh, that cuz he's yeah. a Jew. 
but Paco. I, I do. G-face. I, well, I, I, know, I don't think that that's what they're going for. Oh, oh. I, I was worried, but I, but I don't know for sure. But I, I do really like the makeup work in this. I think it is a great idea, and I wish that more filmmakers were as uh, committed to that kind of thing because it's like often when you see makeup or prosthetic work like that in a film, it's to like kind of like ugly up, like a like a like Hugh Grant. To like make Hugh Grant look uglier or something, but in this movie, it's legitimately to make yeah. Let's make you look like a shaman, a cannibal person that's not (laughs) that's not problematic. No, no, but exactly. But but that's that's great. I I really like that idea. It's just that in particular, there's a few times where it doesn't work. But when it does work, it's great. The the hook nose Susan Sarandon is a little uncomfortable as well. But again, I I really appreciate the concept, and I would very much like to see more filmmakers attempt something like that in the future it, it seemed mm-hmm. more like pageantry where it was like all of these actors doing different costumes different outfits different characters like it felt more like a relishing of creativity i mean this movie is kind of a meditation on what it is to be an artist and it's it's kind of not pretentious either about it or i, I didn't feel that yeah way. like it felt really beautiful it's... like ultimately and it's strange it's, that this movie doesn't feel pretentious because it, it should. should right? It oh, really crazy. should. But it, I would argue it's mostly entertaining. It's incredibly heartfelt. Uh, and it's so fucking earnest at the same time. And like, even the bad choices it makes, like we discussed with a lot of the racial stuff, don't feel like bad choices made out of anything other than trying to showcase how beautiful life in like the human experience is what it can be i don't know it's just like a very very good vibes movie like it's about the power of helping each other out over like and sticking it to the man you know falling in love with Halle Berry nine times (laughs) yeah (laughs) or susan sarandon like three times (laughs) Well, okay, so before we get into saving phase, I, I want to ask the two of you, did you have a favorite segment? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Well, what's yours, Bob? All right. Uh, with the caveat of everything we've already discussed. Oh, I think- oh shit. Here we go. I, <laughs> I think Neo Soul is just the most interesting mm. world. And, like, I think it's really otherwise, other than the yellow face, really well-defined and, like, this really compelling dystopia. Uh, I think it was definitely the part I was most interested in. How about you guys? I'm I'm kind of torn. Uh, as would come as very little surprise to y'all, I did very much enjoy 1849. Uh just be, because I, I'm, I'm a sucker for, like, you know, naval uh, drama yeah, things boats, like that. Yeah, dudes on boats. Like, yeah. We don't get enough know, dudes on boats movies. Especially, we like, need good spirited on ones boats. that aren't related to, like, stealing people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but but then, uh, and again, another historical choice. I really also enjoyed 1936. Like, I, I, I really liked the two older segments. I thought they worked very well. Really? 1936, to me, was, like... 
That's oh, so such a heartbreaking love story. I, I I'm loved totally. It. It's so boring. No, you're, you're so. Uh, I'm sorry. This is what we always no, hit this wall. We I'm putting the red card. The I red just, flag is on the field. Red I flag just, is on the field. Paco, you are too. <laughs> there's cynical. like three good love stories ever, and like most of the rest of the time, it's just like we uh, we've seen it before. Like, but this know? one is so. I, I agree. I. I honestly I love the whole movie, but 1936 hit me in a sweet way too because for one, you're you're demonstrating the uh, gay experience between two men that isn't treated like oh, yes. here are two gay mm-hmm. men characters. They're treated like a re- like what you'd see in a gay movie, um, and and it's it's done in a way that's really sweet and that sense of like romance and yearning and wanting to be successful and to also ultimately put yourself out there where he's slowly falling in love with the curmudgeon and that whole moment mm-hmm. was heartbreaking it was devastating oh, it's so tragic and, and i dude that part just, it, it, and then him being it's such the, a piece it's of the shit. vulnerability oh, though of collaborating it's the idea that like what yeah. is yours what is mine what is all of this and does music live does this product that we made together live in you know in a zephyr Mm -hmm. zephyr somewhere like i i kind of i i just i i adored that too and and i think that it it was really um yeah it was really beautiful um and and sad and i also agree, agree to the 1849 um one i also really enjoyed because of the the stakes i loved the snake oil salesman like kind of person that you encounter yeah. on the road where he's talking about like cannibals and collecting teeth and shit and then you he's dude that part dude. is so cool well but but i actually really like the way that they kind of subvert tom hanks because like i truly didn't expect him Same. to be that guy like, or the, that that was a fun going to the thing. links where he's like cutting off the guy's wedding ring and putting it in his pocket. Oh, and yeah. then you're the, the scene too. That was one of the most tense scenes um, since bound really is where, uh, gosh, I forgot his name. Um, the, 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 the person on board, the stowaway. Yeah, the stowaway, he comes to like check in on him and is like turned away and Tom Hanks turns into a totally different person to him. And you're like, Oh Mm -hmm. shit. Like you got it. You have to help. Like there's that really big tension and you're also wondering, okay, what's going to happen if he does intervene and kill Tom Hanks. And then the guy dies and like there there's, there's so much weight to that, that I really enjoyed in this humongous sci-fi movie. It was the most stressed I was in the whole movie was actually the other scene where, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jim Sturgis's Adam Ewing uh, is like, oh yeah, I've met the stowaway who's a good oh, sailor. Yeah. Uh, Atua, I think yeah. his name is the character yeah. David uh, Giasi. Um, but and then like the captain Atui. is like, yeah, shoot him when he gets to the yeah. top. And like that oh, part that was shit. so fucking stressful. Yeah. Even though it's I so knew stressful. where it was going. I was like, oh, was don't, so don't do fucking that. Badass, the Batman whole thing where he jumps from the thing. And <laughs> yeah, just, dude, it's yeah, so cool. Fuck all those That's people. why we need more dudes on boats fuck, movies. Fuck all those dude, people, we need more dudes on boats movies. Uh, but like, again, I think the thing about, I mean, all the segments are kind of just bummers, you know, because as much as they're about the good vibes of us all getting along, there's a lot of how we 
you gotta have just bad vibes treat each other re- like shit. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta have yeah. bad vibes to reinforce. But that's the good pretty vibe. much Hugo yeah, Weaving's the- whole role. Is he's kind of that ominous presence, oh, he's the bad guy. The bad guy. In all he's of only yeah. the bad guy. I mean, really, <laughs> he shoots a dog. I mean, as if you didn't <laughs> like him, or, or if you hated, you didn't hate him enough. He does that, and it's mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, he's pretty. I mean, we could we could totally transition to saving face but i mean i i kind of i love that hugo weaving was kind of the not the narrator but the it's like something you'd see in a a jean coteau uh movie it's almost surreal as he's kind of jumping through all of these as different characters but with the same ominous kind of um Mm -hmm. bad guy I guess the one thing i would want to touch on before we get there is what did you guys think of old georgie in the uh like post-apocalyptic one i really like old georgie and i think it's like a a brilliant showcase for hugo weaving's Mm -hmm. range i guess my question is what is old georgie is that just tom hanks being insane yeah he was mad yeah Yeah. that's what i it's it's not like uh when when he's watching the goats and his niece is watching him like He's it. Anka is mad, dude. I mean, he he almost yeah. looks visually to me like a reference to like the Lon Chaney uh, Jekyll and Hyde, where he mm-hmm. he kind of I think he was always voicing these things like his actual desires that he's trying to stave off, and it's kind of was the recurring nature of man. Whereas like, I don't know. Um, I thought that was really yeah, interesting. It's super interesting because I remember that being the one part of the book that I didn't quite understand because it's told from Zachary's perspective and he's a madman. Yeah. And you're it's like if you guys have read Clockwork Orange, how it's all written in like yeah. Druke speak. That whole yeah, segment of the book is written like how they speak. Uh, so I was trying to pick that up. So I was like, oh, I must have missed it somewhere. Who the fuck is old Georgie? And then old Georgie is like... I was like, is he like a deity or a piece of like technology from the fall? Uh, or is he actually just his insanity? I think he's a, a figment of his imagination. But I, I think it also uh, kind of in a, uh, a fun way uh, raises the question, like, is Tom Hanks, or rather is his character uh, an unreliable narrator? Which I think is true but how far back does that narration go like well no but that's the question like if he's the overall narrator for the entire story like it it kind of it's it's like a fun little uh exercise i guess i like that i mean the weak are meat and the strong need to eat and that also includes oral uh, storytelling (laughs) you know there's so there's so many good oh it's it's gross Uh, you throw a stone and there's a good little chunk um I mean, we also some of the more thrilling scenes, too, are the rope climb where uh, Hugo Weaving is like essentially saying mm-hmm. dropper. And uh, you're like, OK, is yeah. he going to do that or is he going to do the right thing? There's like Hallie. The, well, in the scene with the knife. Oh, too. yeah. Where he's approaching her. Yeah. Front, which, that part. How, how do you remain with these characters for over two hours? And you're also not sure what he's going to do. Like, that's really cool. Like, you're it, it, it didn't seem it That's just is, is interesting yeah. to me. and and the other is um like uh fuck i lost it um dead silence um the 
car chase sequence too with Halle Berry, uh, where the lights oh, yeah. were off and the car is there and then gone. And then she's in ran, the fog and her yeah. whole, like that whole car sequence was awesome. And I think we have, we didn't really talk about it as much, but the 1973 one, it wasn't necessarily one of my favorites because it wasn't as it was too grounded where there wasn't, it, it felt, I, I enjoyed it. It just wasn't, um, it was too real versus where all of the other ones went. Like it, it kind of, there's different, like kind of, I really like the idea of, Oh, it. I love the aesthetic uh, like, too. And the, it's like Halle Berry's. I just yeah. love, or I love seventies. It's like a seventies, you know, paranoid thriller, like exactly. fucking, uh, that what about the nuclear meltdown or shit? Uh, what's that one called? It's so good. Um, with Jane Fonda and fucking Michael Douglas. I mean, there's a oh, bunch of... Oh, that one, that one, uh, yeah. There's so many great paranoid thrillers in the 70s, you know? And that's what it's going for. But I think... And I really like Tom Tweaker, but I, I just don't know if he's the best choice for that material. Because I think he likes... Like... I feel like everything else sort of matches the visual style we're used to. And that one feels almost more modernized than a 70s movie in terms of like how it's shot uh because it doesn't just totally feel on a like filmmaking structure like a 70s movie with some of the the choices that they made that was a single segment that i think uh it wasn't a weak segment because there was a lot of like connections like listening to the cloud atlas uh symphony and stuff Mm -hmm. uh and, and whatnot but that was a single segment that feels like uh, the most kind of out of place. It, it totally works for the movie. It's a paranoid thriller and it's fun. But you're right. There is like this weird kind of like tonal thing that, that it it feels not like a 70s mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. And uh, like it was I, like they were wearing they were wearing costumes in that one. You know what I mean? Yeah, because like in the. Uh... The one that you guys loved, like the love story, it feels like, I mean, not necessarily, it feels like a period piece, but it feels like a well done period piece that is in line with everything else we've seen. Whereas the 70s one feels like a modern movie where every, like Terry said, they're wearing costumes and driving 70s cars. Like exactly. it doesn't feel like a period piece um, somehow. And. I don't necessarily think that's horrible. I still really like that segment because I really like detective stories and seventies movies. Uh, But it just, I think it's probably the weakest in terms of execution other than maybe like Tom Hanks throwing Um, someone off the fucking balcony. Dude, that that was was great. That was incredible. I mean, 2012 is like the single like kind of, uh, comedic <laughs> relief moment in the whole movie, and, and like there are some kind of heavier aspects to it, but on the whole, that's the like the only part of the movie that is like largely kind of uh, lighter in tone overall. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a Scooter, it's like a screwball yeah. comedy or like a it, it's, it's so silly, and but also like that scene where like Tom Hanks in that makeup is ridiculous, but then he throws that critic. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. It's so good. I was you don't think that it's gonna go there and that's how I kind of what I love about this movie is like I would never have thought in a million years that Tom Hanks would 
talk or look like that or throw someone to their death and actually there's a <laughs> shot that shows the person splatting at ground level like yeah it's like, dude, it's like graphic there's little quirks that i love and then he and then he walks over and he's like give me like yeah. two fingers yeah, no, of whiskey of or whatever yeah, like, yeah. of tequila <laughs> tequila yeah yeah god <laughs> What kind oh, of man. tequila do they get in England? I'm sure it can't be that crazy. The Ross kind. But, oh, Were of they course. In England? Yeah. Because Jim Broadbent is, and like Tom Hanks is a British thug, and like his thugs are British and go oh, after that, him. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Then that's why he goes to Scotland to like hide out. Um, oh, you're, yeah, okay. But I. Uh, fuck. I had something I was going to say about that. Then say it. Cut that out. Adam. No, no, uh, no. This is a no cut episode. Yeah, you like watching Tom no Hanks throw oh, people off of balconies? Oh, yeah. First, ironically, for something I forgot what I was about to say, uh, I actually had. I don't remember exactly when I saw this movie, but I think it was when I was working at a memory care uh, mm. place, and I had thoughts of like how a person because it, I worked at a place for people with advanced dementia, and. Uh, they weren't allowed to leave and there's like number pads on the door and stuff. So they were stuck in there. And, um, so like in the movie, it's more of like an actual literal unfair prison where they're doing it versus like what we as a society do. And like, in that case, it's for people who like, will otherwise wander and get lost or have other issues, which is why they do it. But it, I just kept being like, man, I would fucking try to break out of here so hard if I was in here. And we did have a jailbreak. It fucking ruled. Yeah. Uh, It was exhilarating to see them do that. That that whole scene, it's it's great. And Mr. Meeks, you're finding out that he isn't just like Mr. Meeks. Like, yeah, but like, like I had a jailbreak in real life too. And like, shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> i that found rolls. the guy he just went across the street and talked like the gas station into giving him an ice cream that's adorable <laughs> but like uh yeah i mean i get it and it like i don't know it brought up like a whole bunch of feelings so i felt like i had like a weird take on it also want to be clear did not work at a place where anyone beat people or any of the shit that fucking nurse ratchet does but Uh, that's that's right she she was that's the whole shebang Mm -hmm. of this entire movie is what class is and what power is like all of these uh you know vignettes are threaded by power whether it's the captain on the ship whether it's the lead cannibal person or whatever whether it's uh Mm -hmm. you know nurse ratchet um against vulnerable people and at the end of the day white people whether they're in yellow face or not are portrayed as the villains after uh it's controlling information uh controlling uh you know labor um oh oh happy to be working is this the most complex movie we've covered for the podcast blazing saddles was pretty complex too um I, I think the Matrix, uh, oh, like yeah. Wachowski's, just that's their because like what what we're like what we're talking around here is like very much a philosophical concept. Like this is like 
I would be stunned if the Wachowskis didn't uh, read some Foucault and stick that in here because Foucault specifically talks about uh, like mental institutions mm-hmm. as like a part of the carceral like mm-hmm. state and the idea of like uh, creating like power through an institution like that and the restriction of information and who has access to well, it. And like, his historical trauma well, or, or a, a genetic trauma too. Like yes. it's, 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 it's kind of an underlying kind of vibe of this movie too. I make, I think maybe, maybe we've described this as such a bleak experience, but the movie's like fun. But it's good it's, vibes. It, it's hard to explain. Yeah. Like the, the score was nominated for a golden globe. You know, like in, in Cloud Atlas, like the actual composition by um, Gene Pritzker and uh, uh, Tiker and um, uh, Reinhold Hale and Johnny. Oh, wait, so they actually wrote that? that that's a, that's real, a real like, song, thing, like by a modern composer. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, who's, I think, uh, oh, wow, from Brooklyn. Okay. And the song is beautiful. Yeah. Like the score is beautiful. And I think that was getting me a little choked up at the end too, was like the score is lovely. And I, I think um, the, the film is so fun. Like there's little bits of comedy and so much genre thrown in, but it's all really cohesive. And I was, I just, I can't remember the last three hour movie I was totally on board for where I was like sucked into it. It's there's some we know, should say yeah. uh just because I'm so fucking pumped we will be covering the Matrix 4 uh Matrix Resurrections even though it's only one of the Wachowskis it's only Lana but I do just want to say this movie got me really excited oh, yeah, for same. it because uh Choice is an illusion David Mitchell David Mitchell co-wrote uh Resurrections and Tom Tweaker uh, oh. co-composed yeah. it, so uh, that's really it's a lot of the same team. Um, so okay, I'm I'm much more interested in that movie now. Yeah, I mean, I think David Mitchell is one of my favorite contemporary authors. Uh, uh, like the Wachowskis, he doesn't always hit, but he always takes really big swings. And so the fact that they're working together in like the film world always intrigues me. And I am super excited for it. Anyways, we've gone kind of long on this one. Dude, just like <laughs> Cloud Atlas, this is going to be the first three hours. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Vulgar Let's just episode. have a hidden track where um, it's just silence for like 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, let's transition into Saving Face. Oh, shit. Uh we didn't talk about like necessarily how this movie is accidentally racist. So I don't know how Evan can shoehorn in accidentally Let's rewind. racist. Let's not say uh, face. Racism. No. Nope. Nope. It's all good. Uh, if Evan can find a way I to fit it talked, in, all the didn't better. We talk of- I mean, we definitely talked about racism, but I don't think we ever said the phrase accidental racist, oh. which I was hoping would be well, the trigger. Well, if one of us picked uh, for- uh, Hugo Weaving, uh, there you go. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. All right, no. let's pretend the saving face music is going down in three, two. All right. And I guess I would say my saving face for uh, this episode. I mean, 
I would be kind of surprised if you guys chose well, hold anybody on. Can else. Can we just but... say that Tom Hanks is the given and we can't choose Tom Hanks because or Halle Berry? Okay. I feel like Tom Hanks is okay. um, like phenomenal and that, that should just be a given. I'm just going to throw it out there. But it could be Democratic. You know, that's just my vote. I mean, he was who I was going to go with, but okay, I you can think for, after dude, you, you can said that. It. It's cool, man. No. No. no, because I, I think we can all agree that Hanks is incredible in this movie, but mm-hmm. because of that, like, we could do, like, a runner-up or something. You know yeah, I mean, mean, yeah, like, Hanks yeah. wins, but, uh, uh, Bay Duna, man, oh, yeah. Bay fucking Dude. Duna disappears into every yeah. role. She really uh, does. It's like, Tom Hanks, you always know it's Tom Hanks, but Bay Duna, like... I didn't realize was in more than the uh, Korean segment until the credits at the end. <laughs> no, that, that's actually a really good point because it's true. She literally disappears. And it's not just the makeup, although that's part of the reason, but mm-hmm. she, she legitimately sells every role. Like her English is good. Her Spanish is shockingly good too. I was uh, surprised about that yeah. as well. Yeah. Like I, I was pretty surprised to find out it was, her uh partly because of that like um and i'm just stoked to see bay doing getting like work on stateside because i think she's an incredible oh, yeah. yeah um <clears throat> hint hint we might be discussing some more of her work at some point in the future um but yeah she is incredible and she fucking kills it it you know like what could be a fairly generic role as a machine that ends up having human characteristics, uh, which I think is obviously something the Wachowskis are very interested in and give it a lot of, give that story a lot of room to grow. But I mean, she's the heart of it and her love story and sacrifice really is, I would argue the linchpin of the movie. Although I think it could, you guys could argue elsewise, like, maybe the uh composer's story is the linchpin or whatever because i mean i, I they, because they, this is such a huge movie i don't think there has to be a yeah, single linchpin love is all around us yeah i don't think there has to be either but i'm arguing that mine is oh okay i got you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh how about you jay uh mine was tom hanks so i think uh <laughs> you son of a bitch <laughs> no honestly i it was going to be Beiduna too because I just I love her. I I think she really is so fantastic. I, I guess like I've enjoyed her in some of the other work that I've seen her in, but um, you know, particularly the host, um, I really enjoyed. Uh, but she's so uh, in a in a weird like alternate reality neo soul like wild place and she's like not human she surprisingly has the most complex feelings or like she's thrust into the most complex situation and i think that's such a hard character Mm -hmm. to play and to play well without it being like this drafty kind of like flowing performance that's just kind of like boring and i think she does such a good job um and it's like because as we discussed earlier it's like the least grounded and the most in like cgi and green screen like those can be way harder performances to nail like look at 
to put a lot of the acting in, say, the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> and, like, it's, like, no dig against any performer, but when you're not acting against real material, it's challenging. And she has to do a lot of it. And she sells it the whole time, I would argue. Yeah, that's totally true. It, it like... I don't want to say like she's it's like thankless because she does like get a lot of screen time and it's like really important to the story, but she's making the most of a role that like as you said it's, it's very less difficult. flashy mm-hmm. than a lot of the other characters mm-hmm. in terms of like demeanor and performance. Like she's kind of the sleeper of the it's like a sleeper hit, like a sleeper actor. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and 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 not only that, but like she, as Somni, like there are multiple like copies of her so she's playing multiple like cloned characters even in the soul segment like you know what i mean mm-hmm. but but i also shout out to to halle berry like i i it's been a hot minute since i've seen a halle berry movie and like i really forgot how great of an actor she is like i felt like she blended in she can she be. can be she's sometimes in uh you know some some bad movies she makes but bad but I, I, I really enjoyed her in this, and I loved the interplay between her and Zachary in that segment a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like this could have been, which the box art may make it seem that it's a Tom Hanks, Halle Berry movie, but for being an ensemble cast, like everyone is kind of on equal footing, and I think that she like there are some remarkable stuff that she does here i mean she jumps on the 70s section she jumps over a fucking car uh with jeans on in a way that's pretty like <laughs> that's, I mean, a that's good point. <laughs> it's hardcore with a yeah, broken foot, foot no less so fuck yeah what about you terry uh so it i really like because hanks kind of like steals the show obviously uh I, I think that like as a, like a secondary one, uh, I really liked Jim Broadbent. I think that this is like a really uh, fun uh, like display of his talents and like kind of a callback because you know we we talked about Hot Fuzz not that long ago and I was so excited to see him in this movie. And not all of not all of the characters he plays are as fun as Tim uh, Cavendish, but because Tim Cavendish is so much fun, I just enjoyed seeing him. Well, and actually, uh, Vivian Ayers as well. Both of them are just like, they're they're really good, and especially the whiplash uh, with with Ayers in that story. It's so like it, he seems like this doddering old man, and then all of a sudden he's this like overbearing uh, homophobic monster, and it mm-hmm. it happens so suddenly. It, it it's just like it I it, almost unforgettable. Like I I really really enjoyed all of the bigger moments that that broadband gets in this movie and then i just want to say as a tiny little toss-up mostly because i love 1936 so much i did like uh ben wusha as robert frobisher mm. I, I think that as like a tortured artist in particular like a queer one he sells that role so hard and, and again like 1936 is just it's such a heartfelt and brutal story mm-hmm. i agree and it's unfortunate that he doesn't get more to do in the other yeah, parts because for real. I absolutely agree. I think he's like, I mean, obviously a discovery might not be the right word, but as like the young up and comer in the cast, like he has so much talent. And I mean, I guess he's like 40, so he would have been 30 something when this came out, but he looks like he's a baby. 
uh, he looks like, really vetoed uh, yellow face. He's like, I'm no fucking <laughs> way am I gonna be fucking, you know, the uh, he is not in the Neo Soul part, and he is in every other part, go. so that's not necessarily. I would uh, be that's a <laughs> He's apparently also the star of uh, Perfume mm-hmm. uh, that uh, Tweaker directed, which oh, interesting. I've been meeting to watch both because I like Tweaker and I like Alan Rickman. Um, and it's one of those. I've just been meaning to read the book first. I, I kind of like that. That's a cool concept that like, you know, uh, that director bringing him from other projects and like the Wachowskis bringing Hugo Weaving. Like I, I that's it's a fun collaboration because you know so, like directors have a kind of a stable of actors that they like to work with so i like that there's like this multiple influences kind of uh mm-hmm. being and, and hugo here. weaving is i mean he's nothing to like admonish here admonish no uh like he admonishes yes, that he's like <laughs> he's astonishing here as as as, as nurse yeah, Ratchet, well, like, yeah but even like as the weird mad hatter Jekyll, you know, like Georgie. yeah, Georgie. Yeah. There's the scene of them climbing the wall and how it cuts back and forth between him super close, like James Wan was like creepy. And and he just like he really is such a um he's going to be one of my favorite people, uh like collaborator, actor, director, collaborator. You know, you have your De Niro mm-hmm. and Scorsese and like they're they're so they get each other like you could just tell exactly that the wachowskis are getting from weaving what weaving is receiving from them like it just seems like such a a cool bond Um, yeah no it's it's well that's what i mean like it's like they have a stable of actors they like to work with but like weaving is incredibly versatile i mean we had so much fun talking about his 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 one-liners and his hamminess of like Mm -hmm. smith but like here it's on display as well like weaving has such an incredible range like that we that i just i i need to watch more of his movies i guess because i never like elrond and smith like that's all i really knew before and i think that i i need to look further into that because he's an incredible actor unfortunately i think this is the last we will see of him for the series uh well, he, he made quite an impact <laughs> yeah uh, it's such a bummer he won't be showing up in uh, the new Matrix, and Spoilers. he will also not be in Jupiter. Spoilers. Well, oh, he's not in the new Matrix? Oh, that's too bad. At least publicly, you know. We're no. recording this before that comes out. Uh, I think this episode's actually going to come out right around the time of the Matrix. Yeah, like Zero four. Cool finds the, so. the garbage file and unlocks uh, Agent Smith again and shit, <laughs> and Hackers was Matrix. And... <laughs> but, you know, the audience listening will know if he's actually in it, but I believe he's not credited. So, it'd be a cool surprise. Well, any final thoughts on Cloud atlas i mean honestly y'all have kind of convinced me that maybe i was a little harsh on it i mean i do think that there's criticism to be made but talking through it uh there's kind of sentimentality and the uh costumes and the process I, I didn't mean and, to bully you to ambition i'm sorry no 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 i i, I meant just, to i i still like i kind of stand by like my feelings of the movie but i think that there's so much here that it, it is it's not a Wachowski movie to overlook. Like, honestly, e- even though I enjoyed Speed Racer, that's the one you should see. <laughs> it's not Cloud Atlas. <laughs> so far. 
Uh, <laughs> fair. I, I haven't seen Jupiter Ascending yet. We'll see how we will talk about that soon. But mm-hmm. but just the, the, this is this is a incredibly heartfelt movie, and especially as a big budget blockbuster kind of thing, it's so rare to see such a sincere film like that, like a hundred million dollar movie that feels after sincere. Avatar. It's just you don't. This is see like that. you have Avatar yeah, of world well, yeah. in whatever they were doing in this, and one is genuinely sincere and has this and it's not just the sincerity it's the complexity we were talking about and that's true there's so much to this movie i feel like it's i mean we mostly talk about genre films which are i would argue you know they're art in their own right uh i'm definitely more of a populist than an artsy fartsy type of film guy but I think this is maybe the most complex film we've ever covered. Like in terms of just the layers and depths and things you can go back and rediscover. Um, and I think it is fascinating and a masterpiece and 120% good vibes. Yeah, I agree. I think this was probably so far the biggest uh, surprise of the Wachowskis filmography or maybe revolutions too, for me to enjoy it more after like yeah. I've seen that movie like four or five times. Like that has to be an age oh thing where I'm just like, holy shit. Like now I really enjoy it. But like this one, I was expecting to kind of roll my eyes at, like I wasn't really anticipating that's what i was I just, expecting to from the trailers and the way that it was sold at the time or what i remember of it it just seemed like a mm-hmm. corny like bland sci-fi movie and i think i'm just kind of um it was such a, a good discovery that i wasn't um expecting so I, I think if you go into it with no expectations i think in I don't think you even need the amount of patience that it sounds like. Like it, it sounds intimidating, but I just I kind of slipped into it like like into a bath with a luger, you know. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know if that's Evan, the best cut, metaphor. Cut that out. But... I, that came out wrong. Um... You doing okay yeah, there, Jay? Sorry, that <laughs> that came off way darker than I was expecting. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all good it made me laugh <laughs> but yeah please rate reviews <laughs> <laughs> yeah follow us on social media uh, assuming we're all still around uh yeah I'm at or at podcast you figure out which uh and catch us next week when we talk Jupiter Ascending bye bye The week is my meat.